Hi, ladies and gentlemen, too, if there are any gentlemen listening. You are listening to another episode of Taking Care of Your Temple podcast. This is episode 41, and I'm calling this Grace Over Grudges, Finding Joy Through the Power of Forgiveness. I think it's a very apt topic because this is something that a lot of us struggle with. I know that I do at times. So I'm going to start off with my usual little introductory segment. The object of this podcast is to help women connect with God regularly, to use his grace, strength, power, might, wisdom, love, all the things to help improve their physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical, I may have said physical twice, health. We do this by using four principles. The first one is we keep our focus on God. This is one of those things that sounds so obvious and so easy but is difficult to do because there are so many distractions going on around us. The next thing is to acknowledge that we are not enough on our own. We need God's help. Y'all, we can't do this by ourselves. We need his help to get through just about everything. The good news is that all we have to do is ask him for it and he provides it. So it's not like it's anything really that difficult to do, but we do need to ask. He's not going to force it on us. Also, remembering it's about progress, not perfection. Our objective should be to keep checking in with God to make sure that we are moving in the right direction. We're going to make mistakes. We are not going to do things perfectly. When we do, acknowledge that we made a mistake. Make amends if possible or necessary. Learn from it. Let it go. Move on. And then the last one is to work on consciously changing our thoughts. Y'all, our thoughts are so amazingly important. Because the messages that we give ourselves determine how we act, think, feel, behave, how we relate to other people, how we do our job, everything. So if you are giving yourself a lot of toxic, negative messages, you need to recognize those and start replacing them. You need to see yourself the way God sees you, and that can be life-changing. Okay, the verse for this podcast is 1 Corinthians 3.16. I think it's very appropriate. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? A lot of times we do not feel like a temple. We do not feel like God's spirit is in us. But if we are Christians, we are, and he is. So let me start us off with a quick word of prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for giving me this podcast to work on. I just thank you for the fact that it's changing lives. And I I just appreciate so much every person who is listening I ask that you will direct my words, help me to say them in the way that you want me to. And I just ask that they will be like seeds that are planted and that get a lot of good results. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Amen. Okay, so I want to start off talking a little bit about forgiveness. What is the nature of it? How does it work? What do we, what do we do? So there are two words two Greek words that are used in the New Testament for forgiveness. And y'all, I just want to say, I do not speak Greek. speak Spanish pretty fluently, not Greek. So if I mangle these words, I apologize to all of you Greek-speaking listeners out there. The first one is charizomai, maybe, and the other is afiemi. The word charizomai comes from the Greek word cherish, which means grace. Okay, that's used in Ephesians 41, 34, 31 through 32. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. This is from the message version. Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgives you. 
And that's the key. We should forgive each other as quickly and thoroughly as God forgives us. Yeah, that sounds really easy to do, huh? Yeah. The idea of forgiveness here is that of we're canceling a debt. It happens because of grace, God's grace, not through anything that we have done. And it's shown in Luke 7, 40 through 50, when a woman cleaned Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. I think this is also from the message translation, although I didn't put that down there. So I'm going to read that. Uh, Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be the most grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, Jesus said. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for refreshing me, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the word translated forgiveness or the charizomai can also be translated as cancel because that's what happens with the debt that we owe God because of the sins we have committed. God canceled all of our debt toward him, all of it. And because of God's grace, cherish, we are forgiven when we come to Christ and the debt has been canceled. When we forgive someone with the idea of afiemi, we choose to let something go. We don't bring it up over and over again, even though that's our tendency to want to do. We refuse to dwell on any sense of injury or wrongdoing, which is also something that we tend to want to do. The use of afiemi is also found in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what God does for us when we confess our sins to him. He lets it go. He will not bring it up again. We confess, we agree with God about our sin, that it was wrong, and he forgives us. He lets it go because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty y'all for all of our sins, the ones we've already done, the ones that we will do. So, and I love this one, Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's a long way, y'all. That's a long way that our sins are removed from us. And most of us are really happy that God forgives us so freely and quickly. I know I am. But we are not always so quick to forgive other people who have sinned against us in the same way. When we forgive, we have to cancel the debt that we believe someone owes us and, and that they may owe us. According to Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive others as God has forgiven us. This means concluding that they don't owe us anything. That can be hard to do. When we forgive someone with the idea of afiemi, we let something go. We don't bring it up again. We don't dwell on it. And forgiveness is the force that can be 
transformative in our lives. I'm going to be giving examples. Actually, this is the first of a two-parter for the podcast. I'll do the second part next week. To both of these, I'm going to be giving examples of people who have been forgiven who are, or who have forgiven other people and just the results that it has had on their life. Just as examples so y'all can see what I'm talking about. Um, okay, so here's a couple of examples to start with. The first one is Paul the Apostle. Now, Paul started out not as Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus, and he later became known as Paul. He was a zealous persecutor of early Christians. Y'all, he sought them out. He would find them. He would hear about them. He would go after them, and he would persecute them, have them thrown in prison, or have them killed. He was serious about this. Now, to be fair, he did it because he felt like they were being, um, what's the word I want, irreverent or Basically, they were blaspheming God, is what he thought. And he was very zealous in defending his faith. So after a transformative encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Saul now became Paul, and he underwent a profound change of heart, and he became one of the most influential figures in the Bible in spreading Christianity. And just as a side note, after this transformation, when he would go in the beginning to these places and try to you know, meet up with these local Christians, they were very wary. Understandably so. He'd been throwing people into jail. He'd been going after them. And so they were like, is this a trick? What's going on here? It took them a while before they began to trust him. Next example is John Newton. He was a British sailor and a slave trader in the 18th century. He experienced a spiritual conversion and he survived a near fatal storm at sea, renounced his former lifestyle and became a prominent abolitionist and anti-slaver and hymn writer. And he hymned, wrote, I'll get it, he wrote probably the most famous hymn ever, which is Amazing Grace. I think everybody has heard that hymn. Total transformation. And then I'm going to end this section on a more contemporary example, who is Chuck Colson. He was a political operative, became involved in the whole Watergate scandal, and ended up going to prison for that. While he was in prison, he had a spiritual conversion. And he founded Prison Fellowship, which was an organization dedicated to supporting prisoners and promoting justice. That organization had a profound impact on me because I said I talked a couple of podcasts ago about Project Angel Tree, which my mom was heavily involved with and that we all became involved with. And that is that comes under Project Angel Tree, comes under Prison Fellowship. And it is one that uh, gives Christmas presents to children of inmates. It's and that that's just a very nutshell description. It's it's a really amazing organization. Okay, so those are some examples. Now back to our um, our little outline thing. Forgiveness is an essential part of God's character. It's a huge part of who He is, and it it falls in line with some other characteristics that characteristics that God has: love, mercy and grace. This is just part of who he is. Micah 7, 18 through 19 says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Is that cool? I love the imagery of that. Then Colossians 1, 13 and 14. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So healing with forgiveness is not a one-time destination. It's more of a an ongoing journey for the person who is doing the forgiving and the person who is being forgiven. And it can be a very, very difficult thing to do. I've struggled with it myself in the past. I'm sure most of you listening have at one time or another. But as difficult as it is to do, it is totally worth it. Excuse me. Because it can really break the cycle of resentment and pain that we can just get stuck in. And I'm going to share some stories, a couple of stories here that illustrate the profound healing power of forgiveness. And I got these from, I wish I had noted the website. Sorry, it's someplace online. Um, This first one is called The Understanding Widow. After a long shift at the fire department, Matt Swatzel, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Sorry, Matt fell asleep while driving. He crashed into another vehicle, taking the life of pregnant mother, June Fitzgerald, and injuring her 19-month-old daughter. According to, oh, this was from Today Magazine. According to Today, Fitzgerald's husband, a full-time pastor, asked for the men's diminished sentence and began meeting with Swatzel for coffee and conversation. Many years later, the two men remained close. You forgive as you've been forgiven, Fitzgerald told Today. I mean, is that amazing? Another one. I love this one. This is called A Debt Forgiven Out of the Blue. At first, Sarah Cook thought the letter had to be a scam or some kind of cruel joke. We're pleased to inform you that you no longer owe the balance on the debt referenced above. It read, our forgiveness of the amount you owe is a no-strings-attached gift. Eight back surgeries and more than two dozen hospital visits in the span of three years had saddled the 43-year-old with stacks of medical bills that she struggled to pay each month. She'd been working as a nurse when she first sought treatment for a herniated disc. But that was before the infection that turned into meningitis and left her with unpredictable seizures, unable to drive or walk without a cane. By August, when the letter arrived, two years had passed since Cook last received a paycheck. The slim yellow envelope had been mailed to her old house, the one she had lived in before it became impossible to pay the rent. Effectively homeless, she had been been relying on the grace of family friends who let her stay with them for free. When she wasn't sitting in a doctor's waiting room or fighting to persuade the government that she qualified for disability benefits, she tried to repay her host by who uh, for taking her in by folding their laundry or taking care of their dogs. She worried that her doctors would stop treating her because she owed them so much money. Now, a nonprofit called RIP Medical Debt was writing to tell her that the $5,000 bill from one of her hospital stays had been forgiven. It sounded too good to be true, but it wasn't. The New York-based group buys up medical debt from collection agencies and hospitals for pennies on the dollar. It identifies accounts that belong to cash-strapped patients all over the country, and it absolves their debts. When Cook confirmed that the letter was real, she was stunned. She had never asked for help in paying her bills. People can't apply to RIP medical debt for loan forgiveness. Instead, the donors decide whom they want to help. For example, veterans groups or senior citizens. The news always comes as a complete surprise. That summer, the nonprofit partnered with a Western Michigan church that raised $15,000 and wiped out more than $1.8 million in unpaid bills for people in Cook's area. 
This was something that someone did for me when they didn't know me. Out of the kindness of their heart, she said. The money represented only a small fraction of the roughly $750,000 that she owes. Cook doesn't know how she'll ever pay off the rest, but knowing that strangers came together to help relieve her burden meant more than anything else. And there is good news. Soon after she got the letter, Cook's luck started to turn around. Her application for disability benefits was finally approved. She moved into a condo in Kalamazoo, Michigan with her aunt and rejoiced in being able to pay her share of the mortgage and the electric bill and still have money left over for groceries. Having her debt forgiven reinforced her belief that God would provide for her. And it showed her that any act of generosity, no matter the size, could alter your perspective on life. Sometimes when you give to someone you don't know, you don't hear back whether it's done anything, she said. It does. It's a huge difference when it's done for somebody. And I want to say that this RIP medical debt resonates with me because about a year and a half ago, I believe it was, my church, Highland Baptist in Waco, Texas, we did something almost identical. In fact, it may have been the same organization, although I'm not sure. Maybe it was another one. But it is an organization that buys up medical debt, same thing, pays cents, pennies on the dollar, and it discharges the debts. And so we did the same thing. We raised thousands of dollars and we paid off, I believe it was several million dollars of medical debt for people in the Waco, Texas area. And when we told them, I mean, people were crying. They were so touched that someone would help them because that medical debt can accrue so fast. So I love this story. I can totally relate to it. And it's just such a good example of how God forgives us. His son died for us when we didn't even know him. We weren't thanking him. We didn't know who he was. He did it anyway. So I want to go over right now some common misconceptions about forgiveness. Because let's face it, forgiveness is a hard thing to do. And here are some reasons why we tend not to forgive because we have these misunderstandings and misconceptions about what forgiveness really is or how it works. One of them is that, well, if I forgive them, that means I'm saying that what they did is okay. So forgiveness means condoning or excusing the behavior. And that is not true. Forgiveness is about letting go of resentment and releasing the emotional burden for your own well-being without necessarily condoning the wrong behavior. You can still say, yeah, what they did was bad and it was wrong, but I'm letting go of it because I'm tired of carrying this around. Next, a big misconception is that forgiveness is a one-time event. Often, forgiveness is viewed as a single act, one one point in time, but it can be a process, y'all, that takes time. In fact, I think it almost always is. It might involve working through complex emotions and revisiting the process as new feelings emerge. So I have a story on this, and, and this was not a huge thing that someone did against me, but I think it does illustrate the point. So a couple of weeks ago, I was out in my neighborhood walking my little dog, Chewy. We came to an intersection, and this big black truck pulled up beside me, stopped. The guy rolled down his window, and he said, ma'am, yes, I want you to make your dog stop peeing on my truck. And I really honestly did not know what he was talking about. I said, he peed on your truck? And I wasn't being funny. I just, I didn't realize he had, because I don't let him go up into driveways or anything. And he looked at me and goes, you watched him do it. 
And I really, honestly, maybe I did, but I kind of zone out when I walk in, I'm thinking about other things. And I, so I just said, okay, cause I may have, and then he started going and I want you to keep him off my lawn. It's disrespectful. And I don't want him to pee on my grass. And if I see it happening again, I'm calling the police. Okay. I have a little 15 pound dog. I mean, when he pees, it's a few drops. Okay. And if he pees on a truck, which maybe he did, it probably got on like the bottom two inches of the tire. There's no way it got on the body of the truck. He's not that tall. Anyway, so I'm just thinking, yeah, you call the police. I'm sure they're going to get right on that and come, you know, put Chewy in handcuffs and carry him away. But I've learned not to argue with people when they're upset like that. I just kept saying, okay, nodded. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And I could tell he was kind of getting frustrated because I wasn't arguing with him. That's what he wanted. So he finally was kind of like, fine. And he drove off. Okay. So I reacted. And when he left, I did pray. I said, Lord, I know he's probably had a bad day. I just ask that, you know, you'll help him to figure it out and come to know you if he doesn't. And hoping that was it. Well, it wasn't it because it was annoying. And I thought it was stupid and <laughs> unjustified. And I kept replaying it in my head. So I finally had to just start asking God, okay, help me to move past this. Help me to let it go. And I had to keep like forgiving him and letting go of it several times throughout the day. But the alternative was, even though this was a small thing, not that big of a deal, I didn't want to let it ruin my whole day. I didn't want to give him that much power over me. So sometimes, again, we have to do that. We have to keep letting it go and keep forgiving them and keep asking God for his help. It would be great if we could do it one time and that would be it. It does not work that way. Another misconception is that forgiveness requires reconciliation. And this we this can be tricky because forgiveness can lead to reconciliation, but y'all, they are two distinct concepts. You, you can forgive someone without necessarily restoring that same level of trust or engaging in a close relationship with, with the person, especially if it's not safe or healthy to do that. And really the best example of this is abuse. I have known people who've been uh, victims of abuse by family member or friends who have forgiven them, which I think is an amazing thing to be able to do. However, reestablishing a relationship with that person, especially if they're going to keep on abusing you. No, that's not smart. You don't want to do that. So you can forgive them. You can let go of that. You can put that burden down and you can protect yourself by not reestablishing that relationship. Now, maybe sometime down the road, you might be able to, if they come to realize that what they did was wrong and they repent of it and they try to reconcile, but you can forgive them anyway. Another common misconception is that forgiveness means forgetting. Now, nothing happens to our brains when we forgive. It's not like we develop amnesia. I mean, we're still going to remember it. Forgiveness, though, involves choosing not to let those memories continue to harm your emotional well-being. You are choosing to let those things go so that you can be at peace, so that you can be happy. Another one, forgiveness means that you have to trust them again. I kind of talked about this before. Trust is earned, and it's something that can take some time. Forgiving someone does not automatically mean that you are going to trust them again. 
and or that the relationship should be turned to the way it was before the betrayal. And the, the best example I have of, of this, I encountered a lot of them when I was counseling, is when there's a marriage and one person has an affair. And I'm talking mostly about when the man had the affair. Sorry, guys, but this was what most commonly happened. Um, the man would have an affair and they would come in for counseling and she would forgive him, sort of. And he just wanted to forget it and move on. He wanted to forget. And so what I would hear so often is, well, it's done. It's in the past. We need to get over that. We don't need to go back and dwell on that. The problem was it really hadn't been resolved. And so in order for restoration to occur, there has to be some repentance and some remorse. And a lot of times that didn't happen. The people who had the affair, and it was mostly men, but there were a few women, just were like, well, it's done, it's over, let's just forget it and move on. doesn't work that way. And if that is the case, you probably don't want to trust them again, and you probably shouldn't. Next, forgiveness is a sign of weakness. No, it's actually a sign of strength. It's a sign of emotional maturity because it takes courage to confront your feelings and to choose to release the negative ones, even if they don't deserve it. And I mean, really, who deserves forgiveness? We certainly don't. I didn't, but I got it anyway. Thank you. A big one misconception is that you have to wait until you feel ready before you forgive. This is an easy one to dispute because honestly, if we did that, nobody would ever forgive anyone anything because we're never going to feel like it. I mean, it's not going to happen. So don't wait until you feel like it's time to forgive. Oh, here's a big one that you only forgive when the other person apologizes. Y'all, that would be so nice if people who did you wrong realized it, admitted it, apologized, tried to make up for it. And I'm going to say that happens maybe 10 to 15% of the time. Maybe, if you're lucky. It just doesn't. A lot of times people don't realize or don't care. And even though that happens, you can still choose to forgive someone, even if they don't apologize. Because again, forgiveness is about healing yourself. It's taking care of you. It doesn't really matter how the other person is responding to it. Another one, misconception, is that forgiveness means the pain is gone instantly. Ta-da! Wouldn't that be nice? Everybody would be forgiving everyone for everything. Again, it doesn't work that way. Um, emotional healing takes time. And forgiving someone can be a step toward that healing. But there's probably going to be more steps involved. And I really do think when you forgive someone, you do feel at least a little bit better right then. But are you 100% better? No, usually not. That's just how it works. And the last misconception is that only big offenses need forgiveness. And my story about Chewy, my little dog, and I walking and him maybe peeing on the truck is a good example. That was a small thing, but I needed to let that go because I didn't want that running around in my head all day because it was bothering me and it was making me feel bad, negative. Okay, so a couple of other examples here before we get on to something else. One is Joyce Meyer, who is a very popular Christian author and speaker. She overcame a really difficult childhood marked by abuse and trauma. She now shares her story of personal healing and growth as a way to inspire other people to find hope and forgiveness. And then Christine C. McDonald. She was a survivor of sex trafficking and abuse. 
She overcame huge challenges to become an advocate for survivors and a speaker on the issues of human trafficking. And her story highlights healing and forgiveness that she attributes to her faith. Because I don't think you could forgive something like that without God's help. I mean, that's just what that is. Okay, so I want to talk about unpacking wise forgiveness. And wise forgiveness refers to the practice of forgiving someone in a thoughtful and balanced way, taking our own well-being into consideration, and it kind of ensures that forgiveness is a healthy and constructive choice. So here are some elements that come up in practicing wise forgiveness. The first one is acknowledging the hurt. It's important to acknowledge how whatever happened affected you instead of trying to suppress it or deny it, which is what a lot of us do. And this is what a lot of men will do also, although a fair amount of women do the same thing. We need to acknowledge this was hurtful. I mean, they said this and I felt like this and we need to be able to work through that. Sometimes it can be helpful to understand motives. It doesn't justify the behavior, but a lot of times if we can figure out where the other person is coming from, it makes it easier to empathize with the person and then to forgive them and so that we can move on. Another one is setting boundaries. Depending on the situation, setting healthy boundaries might be necessary. And I talked about this a little bit before. Wise forgiveness does not mean subjecting yourself to further mistreatment. You can forgive the other person while ensuring that you protect yourself and maybe your children. And so I do have a story to illustrate this. A friend of mine, um, years ago, I'm not going to mention any names, when he was growing up, his mother was an alcoholic. And he said several times that he's amazed that he and his siblings survived because she so often would drive them places when she was completely drunk. And he said it really is the grace of God that they're alive. So when he and his wife were expecting their first child, they sat down, thought about it, prayed about it, because his mother was still drinking at the time, and she lived close to them. And they decided on what to do. They went and talked to her. I don't know if she already knew they were pregnant or not. But anyway, what they told her was that they had decided together that she was welcome to see the new grandchild as long as there was someone there. She could not do it unsupervised until she stopped drinking or started getting treatment for the drinking. And I mean, it was like dropping an emotional nuclear bomb into the family. You would think that that would be, uh, you know, yeah, that's a good decision. The problem is drinking is so often what they call the elephant in the living room. Everybody knows about it. Nobody talks about it. Everybody tiptoes around it or steps over it. We never refer to it directly. So instead of the rest of the family getting behind them and saying, yay, good for you for confronting mom and maybe she'll get some help for this. No, they were the bad guys. How could you do this to mom? That is so mean. On and on. And then, of course, the mom had stormed out. And, and so nothing was resolved for months. It just stayed that way. Finally, I believe it was after they had the baby. The baby was a couple of months old. The mom gave in. She came to see them with her husband. And she did start seeing the baby and future grandchildren with supervision. I don't think they ever talked about it again, as far as I know. And I don't know if she stopped drinking. But... They put some boundaries in place to protect not only themselves, but their kids. And you know, they forgave her, but they were taking steps to make sure that nobody got hurt again. And sometimes that is what you have to do. Then another step is emotional processing. 
sometimes we need to take the time to work through our feelings. We may have lingering anger, resentment, pain. And wise forgiveness does not mean that we rush through that process, but it allows us time to heal at our own pace. Some people take longer to work through things. Other people are able to do it pretty quickly. That's okay. You need to take the time that you need to work through this. A big part, I believe, of wise forgiveness is self-care. A lot of times, especially women who are listening to this, I've talked about this before, we take care of everybody else before we take care of us, especially if something emotional like this is going on. So we need to make sure that we are engaged in things that we enjoy, that we are seeking support from friends or family who love us, that we're taking care of ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, because that's how we heal also. That's part of the forgiving process. Also, a big part of the wise forgiveness is open communication, if it's appropriate. Depending on the situation, engaging in some open communication with the person who offended you can be beneficial. This can help clarify misunderstandings, and provide a way of of kind of figuring out what happened and hopefully prevent it from happening again. When I was a therapist, I know y'all get tired of hearing that, sorry, but I did it for 28 years. I often advise people to do this in writing. No more than one to two pages, not a text, although we didn't have texting back then. An email was good or a letter. Um, and there's some advantages of this. When you make, uh, if you do something in writing, I like emails, then you you have a copy because you sent it. So you can work on it. Sometimes I've advised people, take several days. Do some, let it sit, come back the next day, look at it, work on it some more. So you can, you can keep tweaking it until you get it the way you want it. Then keep, you know, you have a copy, send it. And you can make sure that you say exactly what you want to say the way you want to say it. And if there's ever any question later on, if they say, well, you said blah, 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 you can say, "Uh uh-uh, here's what I said. Here's my copy. I said this. So I think it's just a really good way to help clarify things. And then the last step in wise forgiveness is to release resentment, which so often, y'all, we do not want to do. This is consciously choosing to release resentment and negative feelings. It's a decision that benefits our well-being. It frees us up from the emotional burden of holding onto grudges. I love what Nelson Mandela said. Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. I mean, boom, we can stop right there because that's exactly what it is. So, One of the things that um, I want to get into now, because I love that one, is also forgiving ourselves. And this is something that I am going to talk about the steps here in this one. And then next week, I'm going to take up with this one again and then give some examples of it and then do some other points. Because forgiving ourselves, I mean, we need to forgive other people. We also need to forgive ourselves. That can be even harder. And this is not about letting yourself off the hook. It's not a sign of weakness. The act of forgiveness, whether to ourselves or other people, does not suggest that you're condoning the behavior. Okay, so here, if you're having a hard time letting yourself off the hook, 
if you've been beating yourself up, here are some steps that you can use to forgive yourself. One is to understand your emotions. Become aware of what you're feeling. That's an important part of learning how to forgive yourself. Research has found that identifying and labeling your emotions can help you regulate the intensity of them and kind of reduce that. It can help you better regulate your emotions. So if you're feeling guilty, ashamed, fearful, panicky, whatever it is, acknowledge it, own it. And a lot of times just doing that can help reduce the intensity of it. Next is accept the responsibility for your actions. So forgiving yourself is more than just putting the past behind you and moving on. It's facing what you've done and acknowledging that I messed up. I was totally wrong. I should never have done that. It's the hardest step, I think. And if you have been making excuses, rationalizing, or justifying your actions in order to make them seem acceptable, it's time to face up to what you've done and acknowledge it. Not fun, but necessary. Next is to treat yourself with kindness and compassion. Forgiving yourself requires confronting your actions and showing remorse for what happens. And the key to this is using some self-compassion, treating yourself with the same kindness that you would show to somebody else. You try to avoid being too self-critical, which as women, a lot of times we're very good at, and instead being compassionate while acknowledging that, yes, you blew it, you made a mistake, and you want to do better in the future. Okay? Next step is express remorse for your mistakes. As a result of taking responsibility for what you did, you may feel this range of negative emotions, guilt, shame, anger, whatever it is. When you've done something wrong, it's completely normal, even healthy, to feel guilty about it. We should. And these feelings of guilt and remorse can really help lead us into positive behavior changes that we should be making. However, it can also bring up feelings of worthlessness, which if left unresolved can lead to things like addiction, depression, aggression. Understand that making mistakes is going to make you feel guilty, but it doesn't make you a bad person. And so there's that fine line. You need to acknowledge it. You need to realize you did a bad thing. You are not necessarily a bad person. Now, I'm not talking about sin. Yes, we are all sinful people. But especially if we are Christians, we are redeemed sinful people. Even though Satan wants us to believe that we're not, we are. So that's that's what I'm referring to there. Okay, next, make amends and apologize. Oh, yeah, this is a fun step. Ah, making amends is an important part of forgiveness, even when the person you're forgiving is you. In fact, I think it's probably more important. Forgiving yourself is more likely to stick when you feel that you really mean it. Yeah, you really are sorry. You realize that you messed up and you're working on fixing it. Fixing your mistake means that you don't have to wonder in the future if you could have done more. You're not second-guessing yourself. You're not if only. So making amends, apologizing to yourself if you need to. Yeah, that's important. A big one for me, boy, this is one that I try to do, is learn from experience. Everyone makes mistakes and they have things that they feel sorry or regretful for. We all do. 
falling into the trap of rumination where you just the, those negative thoughts are circling over and over in your head self-hatred or pity can be damaging not helpful y'all damaging and it makes it difficult for you to move forward forgiving yourself often requires finding a way to learn from the experience and grow from it one of the things that i really try to do when i mess up and unfortunately it happens more than i wish it did is i ask god please help me not to waste this mistake help me to learn from it help me to figure out what i did wrong where i got off track and help me not to do it again because i really believe if you make a mistake it's not nearly as bad if you learn something from it whereas if you just make a mistake back when i was counseling i cannot tell you how many times i had 50 and 60 year old people who were still doing the same stupid things they did when they were in their 20s they hadn't learned from them so they kept repeating the same dumb mistakes i don't want to be that person i don't have time i'm 66 y'all i don't want to spend years getting this right and so i literally when i pray about it i ask god lord when i get off track and i will help me to realize it quickly and to get myself back on track where i need to be i don't want to be 50 miles down the road before i figure it out i want to be a few feet down and realize oh oops wait this is not where i want to be and i want to get myself back on track i think that's important and then the last step is to try to do better so forgive yourself off also means making an active effort to do better in the future again you don't want to keep doing the same dumb thing as you approach similar situations you can think about how you felt in the past when you did those things rather than just feeling guilty about those past errors remind yourself what you learned and how you can use that knowledge and experience to guide yourself going forward and y'all this so i meant to say it in the beginning this whole section on forgiving yourself i got from a, well, a website called verywellmind.com they have really some good stuff on there that i like okay so next week i will pick up again finish the whole part about forgiving yourself and move into more couple of other sections on forgiveness. So let me give a fun fact about Waco, Texas. It actually has not been a very fun fact. It's been a fact. And that is that last Monday, we had 43 consecutive days over 100 degrees. Killer, y'all. This year ranks number 20 of the most 100 degree days in a year. 2011 was number one with 90 days. We have had, I think our highest that we've had several days has been 108 degrees. That is just ridiculous. And the reason we've had it, it's not just Texas. It's been most of the central U.S. There's been a heat dome over Texas. I had to look up. I had a sort of an idea what that was, but I looked it up. It's a high pressure circulation in the atmosphere. It acts like a dome or a cap. It traps the heat at the surface and it causes a heat wave. It's this really broad area of high pressure that again waco texas most of the central u.s have been suffering from and today glory hallelujah we only got up to 96 that sounds pretty odd to say only 96 but that's 12 degrees lower than the highs we've been having so it feels amazing outside and i'm hoping that we are on the end of this type of thing okay so along with this podcast and Waco Hypnosis Center, I do public speaking. I'm starting to write some books. I will keep you up posted more on that. If you're interested in contacting me, 
you can reach me through my website at www.drmelissarich.com or you can email me at info at drmelissarich.com. And y'all, if you have enjoyed this podcast, and I hope that you have, because I, I really pray about these and do a lot of work in preparation, please do one or more of the following. Follow the podcast, write me a review, or share the episode. I do this just myself, my own time. I don't have any paid advertising going in. I'm not saying I won't do that maybe sometime in the future, but as of now, I'm not. So anything that you all can do to help me get the word out there would be really greatly appreciated because I think I've said before, uh, social media marketing, mm, not my best thing. I do it kind of, sort of. I don't do it terribly well. And I know that there are those of you out there who really do an exceptional job. So if you would help spread the word, you would be my new best friend. I would really appreciate that. All right, y'all. I am so glad that you came here and joined me for this episode. I hope it was helpful. Next week, I'll be concluding the uh, the whole episode. Well, do another episode on forgiveness and different ways to do it and how it can be helpful. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you have a good day and I hope to see you back next week. Bye.